Welcome to the Round Pegs Square Holes podcast, hosted by myself, Sebastian Bates, and Timothy Fair Matthews. A podcast made by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. We're launching our podcast with a series of raw but real interviews with some of the world's leading business mentors, industry experts, and entrepreneurs with incredible stories. Our goal is to inspire, educate, and entertain. So if it's your first time joining us, make sure you go back to episode one and don't miss a thing as you listen to incredible insights from our speakers. This is the Round Pegs Square Holes podcast. Guys, welcome back to the Round Pegs Square Holes podcast. I'm joined today again by Daniel Priestley, who's an entrepreneur, best-selling author, and international speaker. Daniel, how's it going, mate? Very well. Thank you for having me back on the show. Great to see you again. It's the third time Daniel's been back. He keep he keeps asking me every single month if he can jump back Please. on. And have- I'll be back on the show. Please, Seb. I didn't say all the things I needed to say last time. Exactly. And so, you know, we just we felt obliged to, to let him back on. Anyway, you guys, you guys know Daniel. If you've listened to any of the previous podcast episodes and your mind was blown, or you watched any of the live interviews, um, you know, they were very, very popular. Uh, Daniel, instead of me telling everyone who you are and what you do, um, would you like to give everyone your social pitch? <laughs> no pressure since I talk about this stuff all the time, right? Uh, so my name is Daniel Priestley. I'm the founder and CEO of Dent Global. We do business training for entrepreneurs. Uh, my background is as an entrepreneur myself. I've uh, built, I've written four best-selling books on entrepreneurship, and we now have offices in London, Sydney, and Toronto. Uh, we're currently getting our clients ready for 2021 to stand out, scale up, and make a huge impact in the world. Awesome. Love it. And today we're going to be talking all about. Oh, got to be ready. Got to be ready with with you, Seb. <laughs> you got to be ready. Yeah, I I think you half come on here for the banter, and the other half, the other half, obviously for the actual podcast. But you know, <laughs> I like to keep down on his toes. So you know, there's a bit yeah, of that. It's sparring. It's it's um, uh, entrepreneur martial arts. <laughs> <laughs> And right now we're in the dojo. This is as real as it gets. This is raw but real interviews, guys. <laughs> so today it's all about more leads, better data, and more sales. And um, and you know this is a really, 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 really interesting topic because I know that you've noticed a massive shift um, in the way that that people are generating leads and why they're doing it. And um, and you link a lot of that to the general election as well, right? To the to the elections you see in America. So it'd be quite cool to to just go straight into it and just to, just to get some get some understanding about that. Yeah, so I think one of the things that is important is um, is that there is a shift in social media as, and the effectiveness of social media. So um, when I first got onto social media, it was uh, MySpace. I don't know if, Seb, were you on MySpace? I think I was on MySpace, yeah, a while ago. Yeah. So there was MySpace and then um, uh, it's funny, by the way, I saw someone say, wouldn't it be great if you could have a, um, a young person said, wouldn't it be great if Facebook uh, had a music track that you could play so that people knew what you were listening to uh, on your Spotify? And I'm like, that was MySpace. That was 2004. <laughs> that was one of the very first features that, uh, that was on MySpace. So, um, and that was Music Discovery 101 back then. But anyway, social media, 2004 to 2010, it was very much a novel idea. It was pretty new. 
um, and uh, and in many cases um, uh, people thought it was a toy, it was a waste of time. Uh, along came the presidential election 2008, Barack Obama released a ton of content on YouTube. Uh, you could friend him on Twitter and Facebook. Um, he invited you to have a conversation, which was a weird thing for a presidential campaign uh, to talk about. So join the conversation. Uh, you could find other people who, who felt the same way as you did. So it was this really weird kind of new style of um, finding people who are geographically all over the place, but organising through social media, sharing content with each other. And Obama's team was so advanced uh, at that. They were just absolutely cutting edge when it came to uh, social media engagement. And what that did is it moved social media from uh, something that the kids were doing and the cool kids were uh, thinking about into something that every brand had to think about. Every brand had to become a social media company. It was a pretty radical idea in 2008, 2009 when I was saying stuff like you have to become a media business. Whatever business you're in, you're also a TV business. You're also an, a publishing business. You've got to consider yourself to be in the media game. And, uh, and then we entered the 2010s and that absolutely blew up and took off. And, you know, during the global financial crisis, one of the very few ways that people could promote their business for next to no money was um, with social media, uh, putting free content online, all of those kind of uh, things worked a treat. The phase of business that Facebook was in at the time was uh, for usage and engagement, not so much monetization. So they were getting these huge valuations without having to post a profit and without having to show very much revenue. I think um, Microsoft invested at a 15 billion valuation when Facebook had 30 million of revenue. Uh, so, you know, incredible, incredible stuff was happening for, for Facebook around that time. Um, and they didn't care. They didn't really worry about revenue. But the promise that they made their investors was at some point we'll figure out how to turn this uh, cow into milk and um, <laughs> and we will we'll build a big asset and then we'll we'll monetize it so where we are right now in the in the social media space <clears throat> is that we've hit a level of maturity and now it's pay to play it is all about paying for ads um, and paying to boost content and um, and all of that sort of stuff the other thing too is that we're no longer going from 100 million users to 500 million users to a billion users to 2 billion users, we've hit pretty much a, a critical mass of people using social media. Um, we're also, you know, if you think about the 2010s, it went from, you know, tens of millions and hundreds of millions of users to billions, and it also went from less than an hour a day on social media to close to two hours a day on social media. So. Uh, that, that's the phase that I would call blow, the balloon blowing up. And if you were just simply on that balloon, you were making money. Like there were, you were getting attention. You were getting free likes. You were getting free. You were, you were growing your networks and all of those sorts of things pretty organically. Mm. We fast forward to today, you only have to spend a little bit of time looking around Instagram or, or YouTube or uh, Facebook to kind of feel a little bit disheartened that in every niche and every vertical, there are extremely well groups and, you know, there are established influencers and there are people who've already got tens of thousands of followers. And um, you, can, you can see people who do phenomenal uh, posting and engagement and all of this sort of stuff, beautifully executed, and they've got like a 1,000 followers. Um, yeah. and been, you can see they've been doing it for like two years. Um, yeah. 
the opposite of that, you see Gary Vee's stuff and it's just like, it just looks messy and he's uploaded whatever he wanted to. And Yeah, yeah. Okay. He was so he was, he was definitely, like he was early on the balloon while it was blowing up and he was doing a lot while it was blowing up. So he was swimming with the wave and surfing it. Um, so, you know, I know of businesses now that have spent the last two years you know, beautifully executed content strategy and they have less than a thousand followers. Um, so, you know, so this is, this is the reality in, in the world of entrepreneurship, you have to go with the truth and the reality, even if it's, even if it's not what you like, even if you, even if you're a bit pissed off about it. So, um, the truth is that social media in the 2020s is not the same as social media in the 2010s. Um, it's it's a different game. It's important. It's not a it's not something to completely forget. It's certainly in second or third place, but it's certainly not in first place. It, it seems it seems to me that you know, like I, I can totally see why it'd be annoying for some people who it, they've only just got a, got a grasp of it, and it's and it's like, well, that's 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 old news now. No one's interested in social media anymore. But the thing the thing is with social media is like you sh if you're a business, you should have that nailed by now. And if you if you don't, you're not seen as a professional a professional business anymore. If you don't have an online game, you're just not yeah. seen as professional. Yeah, it's still definitely that's right, and it plays plays a role of professionalism. So it's now it's about professionalism as opposed to free leads. So mm. for example, when I go and I I, I go and buy something from a, um, a a landscape gardening company, and I say, all right, I want to get a landscape gardener. I kind of want to go to their Instagram account and see some before and after shots and I want to see some um, uh, time-lapse photos of them doing some stuff. Now, I don't really care if they've only got 300 people following their account, but actually it helps me to see the type of work that they do. So it's part of my experience of, of, of buying that service. So, um, you know, so it's going to help me with discovery. It's going to help me, you know, um, see what other people are saying about them. Uh, it's going to make me feel that I'm buying from the right company, even if they're a local business. You know, just having that social media presence is going to help me as a buyer. But what it's not going to do is it's not going to blow them up into the stratosphere like it once did, where they end up with twenty five thousand people, and you know, and they get to influence the whole industry like they could have ten years ago. Yeah, yeah, definitely, completely agree with that. And yeah, like we've got, well, we've got a comment here, similar to the concept of how people used to. Should have the email domain in place and necessities look professional. I suppose if you look back, if you look back ten years ago, it could have been stuff like business cards or or whatever, couldn't it? Yeah, it would just be. I mean, just having having a phone number, having um, you know, having a, a fax machine at some one point. Um, be a website ten years ago. If you don't have a website, it's like, well, you don't see. Yeah, professional. I remember in two thousand and three getting a website, and um, and that was a real cutting edge move. Like that was. You know, we had a website with a bit of video on it, a bit of animation, and um, and people, and we actually had a system in 24, where 2004 or 5, where you could actually book into an event uh, using our website. In 26, 7, we had like a whole booking system, an affiliate system for booking into events that propelled us into the millions and millions because no one else had anything like it. Yeah. So, so really, what you're saying is it's just so important to be kind of pioneering new change and embracing it rather than, you know, being reluctant because you're setting your ways a little bit. Yeah, you've got to be, got to be, um, you got to be surfing the wave and you, and to be surfing the wave, you got to be paddling as the wave's coming up to you, not, not after it's past you.
So I'd like to get into surfing the waves and that metaphor as well, because for, for those of you who haven't watched maybe the reset or reinvent um, episode, in fact, if you, haven't, if you haven't watched the reset reinvent episode we did, check it out, guys, if you're watching the podcast or if you're watching this live, go and check it out because we dive deep into you know, this whole concept of resetting during the recession and then reinventing ready for the decade ahead, the 2020s. Um, okay, so there's, there's been this huge shift. And what's, what's, what's the shift gone into? What is, what is that shift? Where are we now? There's, the big metaphor is just paddle and surf. So paddle and surf is, is um, throw work-life balance out the window for a year. Don't even worry about it and just paddle onto the wave. You know, do the late nights, do the weekends, um, do all the stuff that you did in startup mode because um, the world is reorganising, the world's changing in a big way. Um, technology always, always, big fundamental shifts in technology change the way, cha fundamentally reorganises the way that we live and work. So if we look at the agricultural age, as soon as there was the invention of the tractor, the steam engine and the factory production line, it, it transformed the way that we lived and worked from farming uh, life uh, into uh, factory life. Um, and then factory life really took us right up to the 70s and 80s. And then there was a disruption around that time uh, where factories started to move. And then in the 90s, there was desktop computing with internet connections and there were people starting to talk about the possibility of small business or home-based businesses. Um, desktop publishing was a, was a term that was used. Um, and then in the early 2000s, you started hearing people talk about laptop lifestyle or work from anywhere and all of that. But it wasn't the case. The, the vision was there, but the capability wasn't there. But essentially what we have is we have ultra-fast internet combined with cloud computing, combined with AI, um, combined with uh, virtual teams. Um, so all of this technology is merging and it will reorganise the way that we live and work from 2020 onwards. So we are going to reorganise the planet and it's as fundamental a shift as going from agricultural age to industrial age. Um, so there's always about a 20-year lag time. Um, when, like, <clears throat> I'll give you another example. Uh, if you think about the airline industry, the airline industry was theoretically possible in the 30s and 40s. Um, it became an actual reality in the 50s and 60s, and it kind of reorganised things in the 70s and the 80s in the sense that um, you could have um, international brands. So because of, uh, because of the ability to, to, to travel long-distance flights, you saw the ability to be a multinational. Do you remember that term multinational in the in the 70s? It's like, oh, I work for a multinational. And now you can have you can have six people who are multinational company. Yeah. You're a multinational, right? So <laughs> um, so I'm a multinational. So the idea is is that uh, the technology changes the way that we live and work, and that happens on the micro with little technologies like you know, like the airline industry um, and television and radio and those things. But then there are fundamental shifts where the technology is so fundamental that it reorganises the whole planet and it reorganises the way we live and work um, and live and work and love and, you know, all of that. Like the whole, the whole gambit of society has to shift. So yeah. that's what we're in right now. What we're in right now 
is a wholesale change to the way that we live and work. It feels to me like we were on this path anyway, and then the, the pandemic, lockdown, everything just accelerated it. Like wh whatever was going to happen in the next five years has happened in the next and happened in twelve months, right? Yeah, yeah. so it really, it really has. It's been yeah. it's been the trigger for it's kind of like it's kind of like oh yeah, one day everyone will ride roller skates around town, and then the government comes along and says for the next thirty days everyone has to ride, ro wear roller skates around town. And suddenly everyone gets comfortable with the idea. Um, yeah. And, you know, what's happened is that the government has basically said, if you're going to work, you're going to work remotely. Um, yeah, yeah. Which, which yeah. is, it's, and, and by the way, this is such a wholesale shift that up until 2019, humans thought that the, the best way to be valuable was to be part of a big city. You should move to London, you should move to Dubai, move to Sydney, move to New York, move to San Fran. Suddenly, mm. the mindset has just gone. Boom. No, you just need to be on a time zone. Pick a time zone. So right. it's like, you know, uh, are you going to be on the on the European time zone? Are you going to be on the Asia Pacific time zone? You're going to be on the Americas time zone because other so than that, it doesn't matter. Looking at what you've done with your business and Dent, which which provides um, you know accelerators and, and um, business courses, basically, um, you guys have switched your whole model from you know workshops, physical workshops. Um, in cities primarily and I, and I remember a conversation with you about five years ago where you know the, co the conversation we had was about you want to target cities you want to look at a city and you know start you know have this model which you can create in a city and pop it up in any, any city around the world which meets your criteria but now that's I've seen this shift with you which is just like we're time zones it's just about time zones right yep yeah, even exactly. your even the Facebook groups <laughs> are yeah, time zones. yeah we re renamed the Facebook groups um We've, we've re, we're opening up our marketing every month to greater geographies. We're launching, essentially launching into new cities, but just purely and simply the deliveries on time zones. Um, and also, I'm personally not necessarily bought into the idea that I need to live in London anymore. Um, you know, I'm looking at other places with just as much fondness as I, I've always been a massive fan of London. Um, but now I think to myself, do I, you know, do I actually need to be in London, or could I be living in a beautiful, idyllic location, provided I've got uh, fast internet? Like Dubai, we've got fast internet here. It's pretty idyllic. Yeah, exactly. If you've got air conditioning, I tell you, it's great. <laughs> okay, cool. So, so I mean, when when you're looking at this shift, Dubai like is by, by the way, Dubai is actually going to be a thriving city because it straddles two time zones nicely. Uh, Dubai, Dubai actually straddles the Asia Pacific time zone and the Yumea time zone almost perfectly. Yeah. And given that it's a quite a modern place to live, mm. um, I don't know if Dubai recognizes this yet, but one of its greatest assets, in the same way that London's greatest asset was very much being in the right time zone, yeah. um, uh, the, the Dubai time zone is a, is a huge asset because you can run a business from Dubai and be comfortably delivering in Europe and Asia. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of my work, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to people in, in Asia a lot. I'm speaking to people in, in the UK and Europe a lot, you know, and, and obviously all over the Middle East. And so it never feels like I need to make those super early mornings or super late nights. You know, we've, we've been running podcasts. Yeah. Right now, we're doing a podcast here in the UK. We, we've been doing this for, for, with people all over the world, and it's never felt too uncomfortable in terms of timing. Yeah. So, it, it does probably preclude you from the Americas, but um, but it's not a but it's a, it's it's still four billion people. Your business 
your business realistically uh, should be able to survive with four billion people uh, around you. Um, yeah. You know, and so that's a big shift. Um, yeah, the the other big shift at the moment is data. So um, understanding data, using data, harnessing data. Um, and included in that would be data and AI, obviously. Um, AI is going to become a, a big next frontier. But if you, if you look at presidential elections, um, I would say that uh, the last two, pre the, the the last presidential election in two thousand six, data played such a fundamental role in knowing where to target, where where the candidate should be, what the messaging should be for each individual, um, how to essentially build a coalition of um, of people who had been dispossessed, uh, and you know there was this term called um, populism, where they they identified Steve Bannon identified a type of person who essentially felt unrepresented. Uh, he, he labelled them a populist and he had a way of using data of finding the populists and uniting the populists and creating populist movements. And he, he created one around Brexit um, and he created, you know, he, he actually built an agency called Cambridge Analytica um, to, uh, Steve Bannon was the co-founder of that, and it was essentially to hack elections and to, to create populist movements um, all over the world. But it was all data-based driven. It was about sucking in the data and, and analysing the data and finding the right people and uniting the right people, putting the right people together, having the right message for, for certain people. If you look at how Cambridge Analytica worked in the 2016 election, they, they might have said, okay, Seb's main thing is about schools because he's got kids and we can see that he's a schools guy and he, he, you know, he's, he's passionate about that. So we're going to just really hit him with messages that if you believe in schools and if you believe in good quality schools, you should vote Trump. Um, and we'll also say, actually, we've also analysed that he'll never vote Trump. So we'll just say, don't vote Hillary. Don't just don't even bother. It's 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 not even worth going to the polls. Right. Wow. So they could actually just they could actually figure out whether yeah. it was better to steer you towards just not voting, um, or whether they should actually make the attempt to get you to vote. Uh, what, what, what strikes me is how much data they've actually got on you. Like, is there, there was a, there was a figure thrown around at some point, but it was like hundreds of thousands of pieces of data that they've got. Well, think, on about, think about it like this: everything you've ever liked is stored in Facebook. Um, not only everything you've ever liked, the actual timestamp for everything you've ever watched. So if you watched 43 seconds of a video, Facebook actually has that information that you watched 43 seconds of this video. Um, if you look at photos, Facebook has an AI that knows what's in that photo and knows that you slow down and have a slow look at certain photos and you speed past other photos. So if, Facebook might know that you always slow down on sports cars. So it's like, okay, if we, if we need to slow him down and get him looking at stuff, we just give him more sports car content. Um, so, you know, there's, there's that. The other thing too is that um, there's something called the ocean graph, and the ocean graph is your personality profile uh, from five categories. So there are five categories about you, Seb. We, one is openness. Openness, people who are high open um, are people who are open to new experiences. They're typically progressive versus traditional, closed on the openness scale. Low openness means that you're much more likely to vote conservative. Um, high, high openness means you're much more like, likely to vote Democrat. 
um, uh, then conscientiousness. So conscientiousness is about doing what you said you would do, working hard, making sacrifices to 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 go ahead and, and do things. So um, doing morally right things. So that's conscientiousness as extroversion, uh, agreeableness, and neuroticism. So these are the five personality traits which are very backed up uh, in in academia. But you only need something like 100 to 300 likes uh, for, from someone to be able to classify them on the ocean graph. And once you know someone's ocean profile, you actually know how they're going to vote. You know what products they probably would buy. You know the types of messages that would appeal to them. Um, mm. So uh, essentially you can do a lot. If I, if I knew your ocean graph, uh, I know that whether you're going to um, respond to a progressive new idea versus a, an appeal to tradition, uh, for example. Yeah, right. Um, and people are incredibly predictable. Yeah. They, they almost always act in accordance to their ocean graph. Yeah. It's fascinating, isn't it? It's also a bit scary. You consider how much of yourself is out there. You don't realize it. But you, 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 look, you, you tend to look back at the last general election, right, to get an insight into um, what, you know, what, what is, what is going to be the trend going forward for the next five, ten years or whatever. Have you noticed anything on, on this general election going on right now? Um, it, it wasn't, I, I didn't notice anything that was fundamentally different. Um, I did notice that they were collecting proprietary data. So one of the things that was happening, especially earlier this year, is every every politically motivated decision that Trump would do, um, he would run a, a poll afterwards using Facebook ads. So, for example, the, the strike uh, on the general they ran a, a series of 4,000 ads that said, do you agree with this strike or do you think this was a decisive or a reckless move? Essentially, that's how they asked it. They asked it with a bit more panache, but they were basically gauging whether people thought it was a good thing or not. Um, you know, they were running constant surveys and polls all year about, yeah. the, about the issues. So it was very much, do you think this is being handled well? Do you think... You know, are you worried about these issues? Are you not? And they were get it, getting people to take the surveys. And there were so many ads that had a call to action of take the survey, take the survey, take the survey, answer the quiz, answer the quiz, answer the quiz. And they would do these 12-question quizzes, and it's just yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. And that would give proprietary data set. Yeah. I, I, guess, I guess if previously they were getting enough data, just, you know, looking at the likes, looking at all this sort of stuff, you know, the the... the the quality of data they're going to get by someone clicking what they're going to click anyway and then giving them another 12 bits of data. It's yeah. pretty remarkable, really, isn't it? Yeah. Well, what you can do with that <clears throat> is that as a result of a very quick yes-no quiz, you can drop a Facebook pixel that is only relevant to people who answered a certain way, and then you can retarget that pixel for up to nine months. So provided you do it within nine months of an election, you actually, let's say that on my computer I have Facebook Pixel that says I'm extremely worried about uh, health and healthcare. Bang, all the ads can just come pouring in that relate only to the people who said that healthcare was a major issue for them and because of the way they answered the quiz. So one of the reasons the scorecards were working was because the scorecards, when used at a very sophisticated level, are essentially dropping pixels onto people's computers 
only based upon issues that matter to them so that they can later be retargeted up to nine months later. So, um, and mind you, that's just the, the basic tools. So I don't know what the more advanced tools are. Maybe you can target people up to 12 months later, two years later. Um, but um, but essentially it gives you a whole host of, inf it gives you a host of ways to work with people if you, if you uh, use scorecards in that way. It'd be great to talk to you more about scorecards and how people can imp implement that into their business. Because I, I think, I think that there's there's two things that really kind of struck me about that. If you are collecting this level of data from from potential customers, you know, a it's giving you feedback from the market. And one of the things I, I I'm always saying to people is, uh, you know, to their customers, but even to their team, is don't guess. Don't guess what people want. Just ask. You know, if, if people just spend their time asking, gathering and listening, gathering that feedback, and then acting based on it, right? So. There's, there's Trump putting all of his 12 question quizzes out there. He's getting this feedback from, you know, Florida didn't agree with the strike. So the next time he speaks in Florida, he'll, he'll uh, you know, talk down about the, the, the strike or whatever. So you can, you can tailor your message to the location or to the, to the person. But the beauty of it, of course, if you, is you can completely automate that process, right? So with, with pixels, with Facebook, with emails, with the CRM system. Yes. So you are, like, for example, presidential elections come... Uh, presidential elections, they predict what's going to happen next because they're the most fiercely contested um, uh, campaigns. My guess, to, my guess as to what will happen in 2024 is that AI will play a massive role. Um, mm. So imagine, imagine this. Imagine that an AI can script the perfect scripted video that speaks perfectly to you, Seb, and it even might even refer to you by name, and it even might refer to your business and, and, and your family or that. But imagine a, an AI could write the perfect script for you and then generate a deep fake video that would actually have the presidential candidate speaking to you. So picture, picture this in 2024. Imagine there's a new campaign, uh, a new campaign um, uh, candidate and let's let's imagine Kanye West, right? Kanye West comes in and he runs the scorecard campaigns and figures out all the things that you are interested in, Seb, and then, and me, and then an AI with a deep fake system writes a script that says something like, uh, hey, Seb, I just wanted to reach out and contact you directly, and it's Kanye West, and it says, I just wanted to reach out and talk to you directly, Seb, and say to you that, what you're doing with your uh, martial arts school is really powerful and impactful. You deserve to be more successful, and um, and you are the type of person who's impacting the future generation. Children, kids uh, who go to your martial arts school uh, are really positively impacted. I wanted to acknowledge you, and I wanted to really just reach out and say that if you vote for me, I really want to help and support your ongoing success. Um, Seb Bates, thank you so much. Uh, I'd, lo I'd love to count on your vote. So imagine that video going out to a completely personalized, one-of-a-kind script to every voter in the country. Amazing. That actually sounds very similar to my last conversation with Kanye as well. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That would be absolutely, that would be a game changer. What, what an advantage that would give someone. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and the, tech, the technology's in its infancy, but it's actually, it's all there. Um, yeah. So I can only imagine that a combination of data with completely bespoke content and a deep fake of the presidential candidate 
um, doing a, doing a video to to each individual person, and and that will be the level of campaigning, and it'll be incredibly tr it'll it'll be very tricking because the human brain's not built to understand that that's computer generated. It will it will lure people in at a level that they um, they've never been lured in before because it will say exactly what you wanted to say. So yeah. if if it knows that you just love the color blue. It's just going to go blue, 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 blue. Look how blue everything is going to be, right? Vote for me and it'll all be blue, uh, right? It's just going to hit you with whatever you want to hear and it will be, it'll be perfectly timed. It will be perfectly messaged uh, and part of you will know it's a deep fake. Like you'll know, you, you'll kind of like consciously you'll go, oh, this is really funny. I've been getting direct messages from the candidate and they've been talking directly to me and using my name and using my business name and all that sort of stuff. Consciously, you will know that they didn't record that video for you, but it'll still have the exact same impact of making you feel completely warm and fuzzy for the candidate. The caveman inside you has already voted. Yeah. <laughs> so I would imagine that will be the next great breakthrough in 2024. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I can I can completely see that. What what's what's really interesting is is how when you when you look at this and you look at this like you can see that you can see how it's going to go. You look you look at the you look at the past. You look how data was used at, in in what you've previously called the the Formula One of of marketing or advertising, right? Which is general elections. But it's it's how a business, a small business, like everyone listening to this podcast, everyone watching this live interview now, can actually leverage data and and use that. And a very, very easy tool for doing that is obviously scorecards. Yeah. So we've built scoreapp.com as a way for people to look. My personal passion is for entrepreneurs not to get left behind. Um, you know me. My whole reason for being around is uh, to drive an entrepreneur revolution of entrepreneurs solving meaningful problems. Um, my biggest fear with all of this stuff is that it becomes a winner-take-all scenario where uh, Microsoft figures out how to do all things for everyone using AI and data, and then there's not a lot left for other people to do. Um, and not picking on Microsoft at all. I'm just saying, you know, a big company. But um, and, and it could be, you know, a hundred big companies, or it could be a thousand big companies. But there's 200 million small businesses out there that need, you know, globally need to figure stuff out. So we created Score App as a way for people to just easily start using data and. It, it takes 10 minutes to set up a scorecard. It takes another 10 minutes to use some of the advanced tools and do retargeting based upon the data. Um, it, it's a magical experience where someone who has no clue about how much data you can collect and how you could use it, 20 or 30 minutes later, is actually behaving like a data business. And, you know, it was. it's kind of like what, and I, obviously I can't say this in, with a serious face, but when, when, Facebook came along and made it super easy to set up a social media profile for anyone and then like 10 minutes later you've got a social media profile and it's like, oh, look, there's me online, there's my avatar and here's, here's my preferences and isn't that easy? We're trying to have that same experience but for becoming a data business and it's like it's not that hard. Um, we can guide you through a process of, of creating an online scorecard, start, start in a fun way, start collecting and using data. And we intend to take our clients on a journey. We want to take people on a journey where, where if they start at this point in the journey with us, we can actually scale up and and do more and more um, tools and and really power that entrepreneur revolution. Um, so, if you think about the concept that data is the new oil, the mm. most valuable commodity on the planet, 
and entrepreneurs are the engine room of the economy. My job is to get the oil on the engine. Yeah, brilliant. I love that. It's it, the, the other question I had was a lot of people look at scorecards. They think they're complicated. Obviously, you're trying to make that really user friendly, really, really easy, very, very simple and accessible for small business owners. Um, I've, I've been using scorecards for the last few years. And one of the things that I think initially I was like, well, we're a small business. How, how much can we actually use this? How much do we need to put behind this in terms of advertising, that sort of stuff? But I, th I think realistically, you know, even just by, by, by having 100 people fill in a scorecard, you're getting that feedback so you can change your messaging. So there's already value there, even if it's not just for lead. You're, you're, you're helping them at the very initial, the initial stage of their journey, right? And you're giving them the PDF report, which is generated automatically, just looks super professional and personalized. Um, but also there were things we were doing in there, which was quite cool. You know, like um, we, were asking, uh, we were asking parents to fill in a scorecard. You can go to breakthroughareo.com if you're a parent watching this, there's a quick plug. And um, <laughs> that's how you do it, Daniel. And, um, and basically, you know, what we're, what we're asking that is, is your child currently being bullied? That was one of the 45 questions, right? And if a parent said yes to that, they've got a phone call within 48 hours with some solid advice on how they can mentor their child through it. And so it's really, little things that, like that. that. That is an example of data being used really powerfully. People overcomplicate the idea of data. Data is actually love. Data is intimacy. So, the, like, if I if I was in if I was in Selfridges and I walk through the shopping and I think to myself, oh, that is that that product. Seb would love one of those. I'll buy one of those for Seb because I know him so well that he would he would love that product. Um, that is that's a data problem. The reason that I might be able to pick an appropriate Christmas gift is because I have enough data about you to know what might be an appropriate Christmas gift. If I'm confused as to what to buy you for Christmas, it's because I don't really know you that well. So mm. data is actually, if you think about humans as data gathering machines, right, and we gather data about the friends and family that we love and we use that data to make really um, appropriate recommendations and really and say the right thing at the right time, Essentially, what we're doing is gathering data and then sharing content. And we're gathering data and sharing content, gathering data and sharing content. And it's the perfect content for the moment based upon the data. I know that's a horrible algorithmic way to look at human interaction. But essentially, if I were to say, the, if I were to say something to you that was perfectly, like, like if I were to ask you about, oh, how was your birthday three days ago? And you're like, oh, you remembered my birthday. That's amazing. And did you achieve your goal that you had set to yourself that you wanted to achieve by that date? Oh, wow, thank you so much, sir. You know, Dan, that's really nice and thoughtful of you to know all that and, and ask me about it. That's, yeah. that's essentially, that's data. So data yeah. underpins intimacy and love and connection and friendship. Um, and if you think about a great first conversation you might have with someone new, you're going to share information about yourself and you're going to ask questions about them. And effectively, uh, a combination of content and scorecards effectively mirrors that kind of or, or comes up with an alternative way of sharing and asking and sharing and asking, which leads to a more intimate connection or a more um, a more familiar connection. Yeah, totally. I, I think I think there's just so much noise out there of, of information, right? It's information overload, especially with the amount of people now using social media as a norm. Um, you know, it's it's like having 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 people having data on you having your data 
means that it, you know, they're creating a less noisy environment. They're giving you exactly what you want. They're not, yeah. it's like, there's, there's less cold sales. They're just literally saying to you, this is what we know you want. So here it is, here's a video of it. Here's a product or service of what you want. Totally, yeah. <laughs> it, should be, it should be a refreshing experience, not a, not a bombarding cut like, like we're currently expecting. Or, or, you know, exactly. Imagine I said to you, uh, Seb, based on everything I know about you, I think you should read this book. Uh, you'd read the book mm. because it's because you know I have the data. So, and it would be refreshing to get a rather than hearing 10, 10 book recommendations a day to have yeah. one person that you trust tell you exactly this is what I think you should focus yeah. on. That would be refreshing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Really, really interesting. Um, we've got a lot, we've had about I don't know forty comments on the side here. Be, be great to um to I, answer. Bet, I bet it's all about that um ai generated deep fake personalized election campaigning everyone everyone just wants to know about the time zones oh the time zones okay cool <laughs> no i'm joking well, I, I went my way from the top to the bottom um let's have a quick look here so first one here from tim what about data privacy rules how do you best prepare for that um well the eu came up with um you know a legal framework for it uh which is uh, which has basically had the opposite effect that every human is now trained to just immediately accept whatever conditions are put in front. Um, uh, you know, it's like in order to look at this website, you have to agree to give us your kidneys. And it's like, okay, yeah, whatever. Um, you know, so look, it's one of the, there's a legal framework and the legal framework is very simple and it's basically the, the simple framework is you have to tell people what you're doing and what you're, intending to do with their data uh, but because it's so prolific now um no one cares provided they just go yep okay whatever there you go no one cares tim providing well, the point is, is just, just put put together a statement of what exactly you intend to do we intend to take the data store it on the database we intend to use it to make personalized recommendations um, if you go on to become a client we intend to use it to benchmark your future success um, yeah. It's just it's just a being honest and transparent, I think, and then having a having you know a tick box of terms and conditions with a privacy policy. And the other one is that if someone wants to completely opt out or see a record of what you've got on them, you have to have that available. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's the guts of it. Cool. Um, let's have a look here. What is your advice for getting most people? Okay, cool. Interesting. Well, what's your advice for getting most? people to respond to your scorecard. So I guess this comes down to messaging in the initial advert, right? Yeah, well, there's content. So any good quality content that you've got um, that leads to a scorecard. So for example, people who read the Key Person of Influence book want to naturally go to the Key Person of Influence scorecard. People who read 24 Assets want to fill in the 24 Assets scorecard. People who watch videos that I've done on campaigning and promotions want to do the campaign scorecard. So that is just essentially content flows naturally into scorecards. Um, setting up scorecards uh, where the name of the scorecard is a common desire that people have. Um, so campaign success or marketing success would be a good scorecard name. Um, you know, uh, getting fit by 40 would be a great scorecard name because anything that is a desire, a desired outcome, makes a great concept for a scorecard. So... Um, basically, I have a saying with our clients, which is desires are scorecards. Uh, so come up with any desire. Um, so anti-bullying um, or confident kid uh, is um, conquer bullying scorecard. 
uh, if the des whatever the desire is, turn that into a scorecard concept. Create content that is on the front end that people consume a piece of content and then say, yes, I want to take the scorecard. Um, and then run ads, you know, run ads uh, to the scorecard. And, you know, I've got some scorecards that are generating full and complete scorecards for less than a pound. Uh, I've got other scorecards that are generating great high-quality leads for for ten pounds, um, and uh, you know you you know you can once you crack that advertising thing, you can throttle it up and throttle it back as much as you like. Yeah. Um. So so that that was this is actually following on quite well from that. Um, a scorecard is just a small part of the journey. Is there any software or funnel programs that help you plan the whole journey? So yeah, so I, I recommend that we've we've got, we integrate with two thousand CRM systems, but um, Active Campaign is a great one, really super simple for entrepreneurs um, to to utilize. And basically, once you've got the data, you can then pretty easily create an Active Campaign based upon the data. So if if they answered yes to this question, send this email. If they answered no to this question, send this email. If they answered yes to this and to this, send this email with this content. And this email with this content, um, yeah. so it take, it's time consuming, but once it's set up, it's done, and it will last you five years. Uh, yeah. And it will, you know, it'll speak to people at a very personal level um, as soon as they've answered the scorecard. I, th I think you're developing this this you know, long long term asset, right? Which is just going to nurture people over a long period of time. And you've got to you you have to compare it to the time that it takes to train an employee. If you've got a new employee. You're not going to sit there and say, I'm going to throw you into the role and give you no training. You're probably going to do three days of intensive training and then you're going to do a half a day a week and then you're going to do uh, maybe a quarterly one day training and then you're going to do um, uh, you know, a weekly meeting for an hour. Now, if you applied that same logic to getting a uh, CRM and scorecard going where you did three intensive days followed by a half day a week followed by a quarterly one day update and refresh, you would actually end up with a insanely bulletproof system that doesn't require anyone. Uh, any, it doesn't require much, you know. Um, uh, <laughs> it doesn't take a day off. Put it that way. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't turn up hungover on a Monday morning. <laughs> you don't. You don't need to bring them into HR to deal with any issues. Yeah, it's not going to say some inappropriate thing to the to the new boy. Uh, <laughs> Uh, um, another comment here, we've got, how do you measure what works versus what doesn't beyond the scorecard, i.e. the closing ratios along the way? We use uh, just a simple scoreboard for our business called LAPS, Leads, Appointments, Presentation, Sales. So um, how many leads did we generate for the week? How many appointments did we book? How many presentations did we deliver? How many sales did we make? Um, and all of, our, all of the businesses that I've, I'm involved in, we run a LAPS dashboard. Um, and um, and it's very simple to see when you're on track, off track, uh, with with just a simple laps dashboard. Is your with your laps dashboard? Is that on your CRM or is that using something like Monday.com? And is it populated automatically, or do you do you have someone who just inputs the data each week? Uh, we have we have we do have one that is uh, populated automatically, but we actually. For most of the businesses that are that are around, so I've got I've got five companies as the main companies in in the group, but most of the time I, I implement something which is a Monday Monday meeting to review the week gone and to and to um, set the week up. 
But essentially, we just have an Excel spreadsheet with our awareness list, our sleep at night dashboards, and our laps as one of the as one of the factors. And we just update it based upon the you know the various data sources. Most of the time, it's a in the early days, it's a simple cut and paste. As your business grows, it's not hard to get an IT person to come and build something that updates automatically. Um, but right up to a million of revenue, you can just simply cut and paste the data from the week before. How many leads did we generate? How many appointments did we present to? How many um, uh, sales did we make? Yeah, we pretty much do exactly that, just using Google Sheets. And I mean, yeah. if you want to look pretty, you can just you can use Monday.com and just stick yeah. it on there. Yeah. And and you can also for about a thousand pounds, you can get an IT person to kind of build you a build you an automatically updating dashboard. Yeah, and and, that, and that's such a nice, refreshing thing to have as well. If you're managing a business or multiple businesses, just to quickly glance over a dashboard and you kind of you kind of get an idea of how the business is doing or what path it's on, and yeah. you can kind of see from the dashboard exactly what the problems are. Right. So if if your leads aren't going well of your labs, LAPS, you you know straight away maybe something's wrong with the ads. If your yeah. if your um, sales aren't going well, maybe you need to look into the sales conversation with the. So the reason the reason I can run groups of companies on multiple time zones is dashboards, and uh, we have we have our sleep at night metrics. So we call that the sand uh, sleep at night dashboard metrics, um, and we have our laps. So we have sand laps, um, and then we have our awareness list. So the awareness list is anything at all that's on anyone's awareness. Uh, that that needs a discussion that needs to be discussed, um, and then we train the team on how to identify and and prioritize and discuss and solve the stuff that's on the awareness list. Um, and basically, we, you know, we have a discipline of around Monday meetings, Friday afternoon meetings, uh, a little bit of those disciplines and dashboards, and a bit of training to get the team focused on how to surface an awareness and discuss and solve it. Um, how to how to make sure that the dashboards are up to date a little bit of that and you actually as a business owner don't need a lot of energy in each business um each week yeah yeah definitely i, I mean I, I find them massively useful and just like they put your mind at ease a little bit otherwise you just it's, it's like, call it sleep at night yeah sleep right. At dashboard. right you can imagine a you know a, a, a stressed business owner like scurrying through loads of paperwork same yeah. thing with spreadsheets or you know, trying to check through their leads or, you know, phoning up the marketing guy to find out how things are going. Dashboard tells you everything in 30 seconds, right? Yep. And our, our um, sleep at night dashboard is literally built around the idea of if you were going to take two weeks off and you wanted to be able to just look at one set of numbers and be able to sleep at night for two weeks, what set of numbers would you need to look at and what would they need to tell you? Mm. And we, we build the dashboard off the back of that. Cool. Um, any tips on creating these dashboards? And yeah, like we said, just just Google Sheets does the job if you're starting out. You know, it's something that your team can easily update. Yeah. I think uh, on on Dent Better Every Quarter, we do a whole session on dashboards and building dashboards and resetting the dashboards and all that. Awesome. Um, how possible is it to fully automate the scorecard and lead qualifying? I find myself drowning in appointments with mainly time wasters. Yeah, so very, very easy with a scorecard to... Um, put questions in there that qualify whether you should be meeting personally or just sending some content. So for example, you might say, does your business uh, have revenue in excess of $100,000? Um, and if you know that you really shouldn't be spending time talking to someone who has $100,000 or less in revenue, 
you can just say, based on how you answered the scorecard, we'll send you a book um, and we'll send you some videos. Uh, but when someone answers a question, uh, yes, we employ people, yes, we um, have this problem, yes, we're frustrated with it, but we have a budget to solve it. If, if those questions are kind of in the scorecard, yeah. uh, you know, pick up the phone and talk to that person. Like you said, if someone's child is currently being bullied, that is get a phone call in 48 hours. High, high priority. Um, also, also very low scores in certain areas. And they give us an insight into... You know, we can solve problems very, very quickly. So, for instance, one of the things we we measure on our scorecard is confidence, right? So, if we have a parent who's got very, very low confidence, with all their child's got very, very low confidence, you know, there's there's three or four things they can do in in the first week which can make an impact and improve the score. So, so what we tend to do is is you know phone up those people who we place at a higher priority. And of course, you're even on Google Sheets or using something like Zapier. Uh, we use Zapier from um, from Score Score App to to Google Sheets, and it and it prioritizes it for us. So we literally just throw up the ones, the ones that we need to, that we know are the highest priority. So, so hoping that um, helps. Tim says, "Who doesn't like, who doesn't love laps?" <laughs> uh, you mentioned an active campaign for the nurture cycle. How much of marketing automation would you recommend? Uh, just enough not to be annoying, but enough to share the right relevant information for people to make a good decision um, and never, ever use marketing automation as a way of driving a wedge between you and the customer. Mm. One, one thing that makes a huge mistake with people with marketing automation is they're trying to avoid talking to people. Um, and ultimately, you should use marketing automation to get closer to people and talk to more people, not to avoid talking to people. So... You want to be talking to people who you know they're interested, you know that they have um, the issue that you can solve, uh, you know that uh, that they've read some stuff about you and that they know that they're, they're engaging, and then you want to talk to them. Um, and the, the, the thing that you want to avoid with marketing automation is this idea that it becomes a wall between you and your customer. It should be a gateway between you and your customer. It should be a bridge uh, to you and the customer, not, um, not something that uh, acts as a barrier. Awesome. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, I'm just conscious of your time. We're, we're, we're getting close to the one-hour mark, and we've got loads of questions. Awesome questions, guys. Nice one. Um, when, when I asked you what should we talk about for this, this uh, episode, um, we, we, we spoke about data, we spoke about leads, but one of the things you said to me was there'll, there'll come a time when the news says it's been 90 days since the last COVID case. And I think that was, that was quite an inspiring sentence. Really. I think everyone would agree with that. Um, but with that would come a rush of energy into the market, right? And we're on this cusp of waves of innovation. Um, can you quickly, for those of you who haven't seen the Reset Reinvent episode, could you quickly remind us what that Reset Reinvent actually meant? Yeah, so Reset is about cutting back to the core promise of the business, the vision, the mission, the values, but not worrying about how it's expressed. So, for example, Dent we say, what are we about? We're about develop entrepreneurs who stand out, scale up, and make a positive impact in the world. Um, we're about positioning people as key people of influence. We're about getting them to be better every quarter, all of those kind of things. But what we're not really about is delivering live events in venues, in hotels in London. Even though that's a great way that we did do that for all of the 2010s, it's not necessarily how we need to be doing it in the 2020s. Even though I love big theatre auditoriums, that precludes us from the time zone model 
So unfortunately, we cut away that way of doing things and we start embracing something new. So the first thing is about cutting back to what is important, what is the actual promise of our business, what do we help people to get done, what problem do we actually solve, um, and then the other question is how do I want to live? Uh, so part of the reset is where do I want to live? Do I want a lifestyle business or a performance business? Do I want this business to make me a Desi millionaire or do I just want it to give me lots of fun and free time and flexibility? Um, but, you know, what am, what am I trying to achieve out of this? What journey do I want to go on in this next phase? So when you've got good answers to that, then the reinvent phase is to reinvent based upon reverse engineering the future rather than forward engineering the past. So reverse engineering the future is having an inspired vision of what it should look like in five years from now. And reverse and forward engineering the past is just simply saying what worked for us yesterday and I hope that works again. For example, I hate to be critical, the Democrats. The Democrats have basically tried to forward engineer the past strategy with Joe Biden. Um, they've basically said, let's pick a candidate who we feel comfortable with. We wish that we could go back to a sense of normality for us and actually have go back to the good old days when it was Obama and Biden. Obama can't run again, so we want to make Biden the next guy because he reminds us of the good old days. So it's Ford engineer the past. Now, had they run Andrew Yang, they would have won all of those swing states uh, because the swing states are all about anti-Washington, anti-establishment. So um, by running an establishment candidate, they this is a Ford engineer the past, not reverse engineer the future um, uh, strategy. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot to be learned from presidential elections, a lot to be learned from presidential elections. Yeah. 100%. Clear messaging, by the way, clear messaging. Uh, what's, what is Trump's campaign slogan? I don't know. I just do podcasts. I don't really, I don't really you know. Definitely, you definitely know it, right? Make America great again. Right? What was Hillary's campaign slogan? It was we're better together. Um, okay. doesn't really doesn't really say much. What was Biden's campaign slogan? Battle for the soul of the nation. Um, so oh, so Seb's gone a bit quiet. Uh, oh, cool! I'm live by myself. All right. Well, anyway, I hope that I hope that's uh, been useful. I hope that's been uh, been fun. And here is here's Seb. Let's check check that out. But I, I guess I was saying about um, campaign slogans and having a clear clear slogan that people remember, a clear value proposition that people remember is a great lesson. A great a great lesson. By the way, I'm not necessarily political. I'm just talking about the marketing aspects of it. Um, have we got a, a Seb Bates deep fake in the house? Oh no, we don't. Um, I can't actually access your questions, so um, yeah. Oh, wait, here we go, Seb. Sorry, it, it was whenever you started bringing up politics, it was just you know, it might an have been filter. <laughs> we should have that installed on every which uh, another thing about the Democrats, I was worried which way you're going to go with this. So, <laughs> oh, it's just purely and simply having a very clear value proposition that resonates. Um, yeah. the, the, Biden, the Biden campaign slogan was battle for the soul of the nation, which is essentially, yeah. essentially translation, vote for me because it's the morally correct thing to do and good people would do that, um, not 
not here's the actual benefit to you, the memorable benefit to you. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. So, so basically, yeah, reset, reinvent. Looking at the decade ahead, now's the time to paddle and surf. And basically, guys, what we've been focusing on today is diving into data and how small business owners can use data. And um, could you give me a couple of examples from people that have used a scorecard, like? Just a couple of success stories to finish on to make this really real and tangible for a small business owner watching this. We've, we've obviously talked big picture. We've, we've discussed how it works, small picture. But any examples of, of, of how you've seen that play out? The most common examples, the most common examples of, of just pure success where it works again and again is an author who has a book. And within the first 20 pages, they encourage people to take the scorecard after reading the book or, or while reading the book, take the scorecard. Um, and it turns the book into a massive data uh, lead generator. Um, similar to that is podcasts. Anyone who's got a podcast who signs off with take the round peg square hole, uh, round peg scorecard, that yeah. is a really powerful because it turns the anonymous listener into someone who is signaling interest. Now, a thousand people might listen to a podcast but if you can get even 45 of them to fill in a scorecard and signal their interest, that's a pretty good signal, right? So they've yeah. experienced content and now they're over at the scorecard. Um, but, uh, I mean, the, the, the we're up to 250 clients on the platform uh, so far and we've got health and fitness, we've got business services, business coaching, um, we've got... Uh, Training and education. We've got um, uh, we've got a, a new golf course redevelopment uh, uh, scorecard uh, for for golf course owners, golf course management. Um, uh, you know, all, all of these kind of um, we've we've got so many great examples. Brilliant. Yeah. So um, I mean, there's a link we can give that link out to have a have a browse around, guys, on Score App and see if you can find a way of building that for yourself. Um, I've used it, it's been, it's been mega, mega useful. We're about to position that as our kind of, the main thing we're gonna do front of house. Looking, looking at the next five years, you know, we want to be a, a, a data-driven organization. I think that's the future until AI. So the, other, the other awesome thing for you is when the parent comes back nine months later and you print out the first scorecard that they took, yeah. and it says two out of 10 for confidence, and yeah. then they, then you put down the new scorecard and say nine out of ten for confidence. Yeah. You're, you're what's, what's, what's interesting about that is we we do that every three months. So every three months we ask people to fill it in, right? And this links directly to the to the register. So that as an instructor looking at the, we're now getting into martial arts classes, guys. So just bear with us. But as the as the instructor looking at this, you actually visibly see the score jump up every three months. Yeah. So that's the goal, which is inspiring for the team and and the parents, and it gives that visible you know, tangible, like, improvement in something that's so hard to measure. So, yeah, there's, there's so much power. We actually weren't using scorecards as a lead generator. We were using them as a tool internally um, because it was it was just such a, a brilliant bit of kit. So, yeah, Excellent. there we go, guys. <laughs> Data, leads. AI. Interface, AI. We just smashed it, everything. <laughs> and loads of questions as well. Um, Dan, thank you so much for coming on, mate. Absolute pleasure to have you on. If um, anyone wants to get in touch with you or learn more, where should they go? Take the key person of influence scorecard. 
go on Google and do key person of influence scorecard and actually take the key person of influence scorecard and see whether you are a key person of influence and how you could improve. Uh, or if you want to focus more on your business, 24assets.com allows you to look at 24 aspects of your business to see whether it's digital and scalable and fun. And, um, and you can take the 24 assets heat map. And, uh, and that's a great place. And watch, watch what happens after that. Watch the wheels, watch, watch the, the wheels in motion after, after you take the scorecard. Yeah, I, I think when I took the um, 24 assets scorecard, it really highlighted areas I can improve, right? And so I just remember just meticulously going through it one by one <laughs> until I could get 100% in it. But it's su super, super useful. Anyway, guys, hope you enjoyed that. That was epic. I really enjoyed it. Got loads of questions out myself, which is always fun. So, Dan, thank you so much, mate. Appreciate it. Cheers. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to be the first to get access to our live interviews, then head over to f10x.com to apply to be a part of our online community.